Welcome to the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. I'm Gwen DeSelm, your host for this podcast, and I am so glad to have you along with me today. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry, planting, growing, and leading a church called Fellowship in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a blog, devotionals, coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. If you could pick one word to describe the life of a disciple of Jesus, what would it be? In today's episode, Dave is going to offer a suggestion, a two-letter word that's at the heart of the story of Jonah. Here's Dave. We spent time last week in in all the 11 verses of Jonah chapter 3. And I was going to move on to chapter 4, but I was arrested not by a chapter, not by a verse, but by a word. One particular word in chapter 3 arrested me so much that I recognized I could not move forward without pausing right there and taking a look at that word. Now, earlier in this teaching series, I noted to you there seemed to be certain words that the writer would focus in on. For example, I suggested to you that one of the first words that I saw was the focused word great. Early on, we read in this book of Jonah that God said to the man, go to the great city of Nineveh. God was obviously up to something great here. It symbolized his great heart for the people who lived there. Jonah ran the other way, as we've learned, so God sent a great wind. It created a great storm that resulted in a great fear among the pagan sailors who were piloting the boat that Jonah was hiding in. Ultimately, they threw him overboard into the great sea where God provided a great fish. God is obviously up to something great in this book, and it was deep inside that fish that Jonah prayed a great prayer and came to a point of repentance. That's the first word. The second word I said seemed to come out of Jonah's life himself. For Jonah, the words seemed to be down. Remember that? That was the word down. Jonah disobeyed God and went down to Joppa and boarded a ship. Jonah went down to the hold of the ship. Jonah lay down to go to sleep. Later on, he went down into the water after he was tossed overboard, and ultimately he went down into the belly of the fish. And the fact that that word was used so frequently would seem to suggest that God was saying this, anytime you go against God's will and God's way, it will ever and always be a losing proposition. Always. You will end up going down. Great, down. The third word, comes up in Jonah chapter 3, but it also comes up in Jonah chapter 1. The book really is in two sections. The first two chapters are, in a sense, part 1. The second two are part 2. But take a look, please, at Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Then I'm going to read you chapter 3, verse 2, and see if you can hazard a guess as to what the third word is. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Then over in chapter 3, verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Anybody want to guess as to what the third word might be? 
It's the word go. Yeah. Great, down, and go. The more I studied this this week, I recognized that go is one of the most fundamental words that's used throughout Scripture. Think about it. The father of our faith kicked everything off when God said to him, I want you to go. I want you to go to a land you've never seen. I will make a great people of you. But, but Abraham, you have to go. Later on, he took a washed up murderer named Moses, who had become a shepherd. And he said, son, Moses was only 80 years old, son, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to go free my people. And I want you to go back up to the promised land. I want you to go. Joshua was commanded to go and walk around the walls of Jericho. David was prompted to go and fight against Goliath the giant. Esther was challenged to go and face down the king. The word that God seems to ever and always use regarding discipleship in the Bible is the word go. It always leans forward. It's always aggressive in tone. Go, go, go. More times than not, To respond to the call to go would always require a step of faith because it was risky. To go in God's name, to go to the place God calls you to is not necessarily comfortable. It won't be easy. It's not going to be convenient. And yet those who obeyed the call to go literally changed history. History is changed by the goers the goers. The problem is, over time, God's people began to define who they were, not in terms of their going, but in some other word. To their way of thinking, they would better be defined as disciples if they would stop. Over time, God's people began to define their uniqueness, their holiness, their call in terms of what they had stopped doing, where they had stopped going, who they had stopped relating to. Rather than measuring their maturity by what they did, they increasingly measured it by what they didn't do. And as a result, They ceased to be influencers for good. They ceased to be shapers of history. Rather than being rivers of grace, they became reservoirs of pride because they stopped going. This twisted definition of what it meant to be a disciple reached its zenith 700 years after Jonah. As Jesus Christ, the ultimate go-life guy, came to this world, he ran right smack dab into some individuals who were committed to the philosophy of stop. These individuals were called the Pharisees. How many of you are familiar with the word Pharisees? We tend to think, well, Pharisees are very rigid. Many times it's not a function of the heart. Those are all things that were true of these people. But at the root of it all was this. They defined who they were by what they had stopped doing by what they no longer participated in. Their problem, though they looked at God's word 24-7, they had both the time and the resources to devote their whole life to God's word and obeying it, but they ever and always looked through the filter of stop, not go. 
You can imagine, Jesus ran right into them. There was one branch, these guys are so committed, there was one branch of this sect called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Ever heard of this? The bruised and bleeding Pharisees. They were so committed to not looking upon any impure thing, to not polluting themselves by what they saw, they would walk with their heads down and they'd bump into things. They'd bump into the wall, they'd bump into trees. They were bruised and bleeding Pharisees because they were so committed to not pollute themselves. Of course, when you walk through life with your head down, to be sure, you won't see that which might pollute you, but you'll also not see that which you could impact for Christ. The bruised and bleeding Pharisees were a picture of people committed to stop. To the Pharisees' way of thinking, theirs was a religion of prohibition, not liberation. Instead of a commitment, listen, instead of a commitment to making a difference, they were content to merely be different. Instead of being committed to making a difference, they were content with merely being different. Forget the idea of seeing a lost world and impacting a lost world. To their way of thinking, as long as they stopped short of being polluted, they were pleasing to God. And as you might imagine, they ran right smack against Jesus. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will be back to continue his message in just a moment. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to support us in this ministry, just go to davedesalmministries.org and click on the donate button. Dave DeSalm Ministries is here to resource everyday pastors as they seek to equip everyday people to become everyday disciples. And one of the ways that we do that is through coaching. In the coaching relationship, pastors and leaders have the opportunity to receive individualized, practical guidance from Dave on the issues they're facing in life and ministry. These one-on-one sessions offer a safe place to discuss some of the unique challenges you're facing with someone who's a bit further down the road of ministry. DDM also offers coaching groups, bringing the coaching relationship into the small group setting. It's a personal space where conversation can take place, relationships can be formed, and hope and help discovered. If you'd like to learn more about coaching, go to davedesellministries.org or email us at info at davedesellministries.org. Now, here's Dave with the rest of today's teaching. They ran right smack against Jesus. Time and time again, he would just have it out with them because they looked at two different ways. Mark Buchanan, one writer, puts it this way. The Pharisees had an ethic of avoidance. Jesus had an ethic of engagement. The Pharisees were ultimately committed to answering these questions, not how can I best glorify God? You know what they asked? How do I not pollute myself? Their focus wasn't, how can I change a broken world? Their focus was, how can I stay safe in a sick world? They didn't ask, how can I make others clean? They asked, how do I keep from getting dirty? 
Their definition of discipleship was in what they stopped doing. Now, make no mistake, Jesus was committed to living a pure life. Jesus was committed to live a life where he was in the world, but not of the world. Jesus mixed it up with tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers. Jesus was committed to living a life that was glorifying to his father, as well as engaging the world, and he did it. In fact, he was able to say at the end of his life to his most vocal critics, which one of you convict me of sin? And all that was said was this, you hang around with sinners. That was the only indictment. You hang around with sinners, to which Jesus said, yep, that's why I've come. That's why I've come. Jesus didn't confuse being set apart for God from being set apart from people. Rather, he sought at all times, in all ways, to help, to heal, to engage, and mark it well. He leaned toward the least, the last, and the lost. He leaned into situations where nobody else would go. These people, the most marginalized, were the ones that Jesus especially had time for. Rather than running from evil to good, Jesus was committed to bringing good to the evil. He approached, he engaged, while the Pharisees avoided and separated themselves. Here's the deal. We would like to think that the Pharisees are gone. I would suggest to you, they are alive and well. And you can define which ethic you pursue by asking this, is my life one of engagement or one of avoidance? Am I one who chooses to engage the pain, engage the hurt, engage the ugliness, or am I one who is so committed that myself and my children are safe and comfortable and clean that we're going to avoid it? We would never say, I guess I'm a Pharisee. But in the essence, this was the definition. And we've taught people this. It's our fault, a lot of it. I hear this all the time when I talk with young Christians. I said, tell me about your walk of faith. I've come to Jesus. I said, tell me about it. You know, Pastor Dave, I've stopped cussing. I've stopped doing drugs. I've stopped sleeping around. I've stopped lying on my taxes. I've stopped partying. I've stopped hanging around those bad influences. And that's all they say. Now, don't you misquote me on this. Those are good things to stop. Those are right things to stop. But if you define your discipleship by what you stopped, if you measure your maturity by what you don't do, you've cut the heart out of what it means to be a Christ follower. Jesus ever and always, he would say, I'm glad you've stopped that. That's disgraceful to God and it's devastating to you. I'm glad you stopped that. But now what are you going to start? Where are you going to go? What are you going to be about? The tragedy comes when we measure our maturity by what we stop rather than where we go, by what we avoid than what we embrace. Jesus made this so clear in light of how he lived. It's interesting to me. Many times in his parables, he would picture for us what a real kingdom player looked like. I think one of his most troubling 
is in Matthew 25. You've heard it before, many of you. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he says, a time's going to come when we'll separate the real deal from the wannabes. I'm all ears when I hear this. Notice the filter that the Savior uses. He does not say, okay, here's the deal. Those who really are my followers don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. (laughs) It's not what he said. He said this, do you want to know how you're my follower or not? I came to you naked, and you clothed me. I came to you hungry, and you fed me. I was in prison, and you visited me. That's it. What's he doing? He is not saying you have the right doctrine, though doctrine is important. He's not saying you stop the negative behaviors, so that's insignificant. He's saying disciples are defined in how they go, not in what they stop. And that gives me pause to consider the level of my discipleship. John 20, 21 on the screen The Savior gives us both a motive and a model. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. What's our motive? As the Father has sent me, what was God's motive? Why did he send his Son? Because he not only saw the seediness of this world, he saw the neediness of this world. He sent his Son right into it. Right into it. It was motivated by the love as seen in the brokenness. What's our motive? When we recognize that having received so much outrageous grace ourselves, we can't help but say, I can't stay safe. I can't stay comfortable. I can't stay convenient. I've got to live a life of going because someone came to me. It also shows us a model. As the Father has sent me, he sent Jesus into this thing in the midst of it. We've got a plaque in the foyer of our home that reads this way. For God so loved the world that he moved into the neighborhood. That's pretty good. For God so loved the world that he engaged. He got his hands dirty. He was a part of the problem that he might be a solution in the problem. To be sure. If you live a go life, mark it well, there are risks. There are risks where it can be a bit dangerous. There are risks that relates to safety. There are risks, and I've seen it and so have you, that those in their attempt to pull others out of the mud fell back into it. There are risks. There are risks in living a go life. But have you ever thought about the risk of not living a go life? See, we don't think about that. If you want to see what happens to your soul, do a study on the Pharisees. Oh, they loved the Word. They spent time in Bible study. But over time, their souls shriveled. Their theology became brittle and narrow. They lost the heart of God in the midst of it all. In fact, God became less and less real. The kingdom became more and more abstract. The reality of living a life that could change the world in God's name was lost. And the discipleship that could have been, that should have been, ended up becoming nothing more than theological discussions. To not live a go life is the risk of becoming a Pharisee yourself. 
Jesus' last words were known as the Great Commission. All authority is given me on heaven and earth, he said. Now you, my disciples, go. Go into the marketplace, go into the schools, go in the neighborhood, go into the offices. Go into the food banks. Go into the prisons. Go. Go. And don't leave the world as you found it. Go in my name. Oh, to God, that we would. Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.